You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. This next scholar, writer, professional in the field is also a... Um, uh, an actual teacher, a uh, visiting uh, uh, a theater person, an actress, a director, a, uh, a an author of two novels, one of which won the Carl Brandon Award, I believe. And um, well, I'll, I think I'll let her describe the rest because I'm not qu- quite sure what's gonna, what's going to happen now. But this is another valued and fairly new friend and esteemed colleague, Andrea Hairston. Yeah. So we're going to start with Pam, so she's going to move the mic up. All right. Do you need to do what you got there? I'm going to give yeah. this mic up. Yeah. Go it, for it. And I'm going to stand up and hope I can see. Now, let's see how you guys can see. Oh. Yeah. Maybe give this a little bit more. We're just going to sit here and look intelligent? Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. This is yeah. It's a good thing the lights aren't very bright. <laughs> you want to? I'm going to over you with my band. That's okay. <laughs> As long as you don't use it as a weapon, fan, <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with that. Are we cool? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing, Abby. Actually, you know what? We're going to go yeah, sit Yeah, why don't we sit row. down? Yeah. yeah I want to see, see the show, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, this is fine, I think. Isn't it fine? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just need to make sure I have enough light. Okay, so that was Pan singing um, You Into the Spirit of My Book, which is Redwood and Wildfire. Um, yeah, go Pan. So I wrote the lyrics and she wrote the mu- music. Um, and this is a novel uh, where I'm specul- speculating on film and theater artists from the turn of the 20th century. Uh, so the two main characters are Redwood, who is an African-American conjure woman, and Aiden Wildfire, who is an Irish seminal uh, banjo player. 
And so I wrote lyrics in the book um, for uh, Aiden. He has a whole set of lyrics. And I said to Pan in the fall, you got to learn how to play the banjo. So that when we do the, the show, when we do a reading, you can do Aiden's music. So she learned the banjo this fall and then wrote music to Aiden's lyrics. Okay, so um, the, I'm going to read a later chapter in the novel. Um, it takes place pretty much from like the late 1890s to 1914, and this chapter is in 1910. Um, and uh, Redwood is in Chicago uh, shooting films, um, and she's working with Saeed, who is a Persian acrobat. Um, and they do film and vaudeville together. And Chicago is a, a major early uh, film town. Um, so they have cowboy and engine movies that they're shooting on back lots and African safaris. Um, like the documentary, Big Game Hunting in Africa. And it was called a documentary. Um, an actor played Teddy Roosevelt, and Pullman Porters played uh, the Africans. Um, so, uh, and they, you know, they shot the whole thing on the back lot of, you know, a Chicago film studio. Um, and Redwood's stage name is Sequoia. So that's all you need to know to understand this. But it won't make you free. But it won't make you free. On a loose and acting brave, a man could still be your slave. In shackles he just don't see, but it won't make you free. Saeed and Redwood, dressed as savage Africans with grass skirts, animal skins, and gator teeth necklaces, paced the back lot of Chicago's newest motion picture factory. Large bones, turkey most likely, from a nearby slaughterhouse were stuck through their hair. They squatted in front of a round hut with a thatched roof. Other natives, similarly dressed, huddled near them at the edge of a jungle. Fake palm trees that had been added to local crab, apple, dogwood, and sassafras trees. Redwood blew a purple prairie smoke blossom that trailed silvery filaments as it went to seed. What part of Africa is this? Saeed asked. <laughs> Chicago, Abyssinia, Redwood laughed. Saeed laughed too, and <laughs> who are we again? Nobody. Redwood suddenly turned glum and clutched Saeed. What is it? A lion grumbled. What are they doing to that old cat? She looked toward the sound. Ah, they, they tease him to, to look ferocious. Saeed squinted. He doesn't want to come out of the cage. Oh, she hugged herself. Well, you know, I got an idea for a motion picture, a colored romance on a sea island. No one will make that. White folk are, are scared of colored romance. Saeed shrugged. Who'd come to see it? For a nickel, colored folk will. Don't they come to the club after hours to hear us or, or head on over to the Pekin Theater to see all colored adventures in Darkville? White folk come too, everybody does. I hear rumors. The Pekin's going broke and about to close down. I mean, you can't get rich entertaining niggas. I, don't be quoting Eddie to me. 
histrionic yelling was followed by fevered drums. Said pulled her up. He put on his savage face. Time to welcome the great white hunter. Throwing up her hands in exaggerated fright, Redwood ran with Said and a crowd of screaming savages toward a row of cameramen cranking away. You know, I don't work with divas anymore. Mr. Payne looked like the dead president for true this afternoon as he yelled at the idle cast and crew on the back lot of his motion picture factory. The light was better outside, but three days wasted. Payne resented every red cent spent to keep a village of screaming savages on hand for the rampage and the big hunt. Redwood sucked her teeth. She slouched against a flimsy African hut and scratched that itchy grass skirt that was going to seed around her waist. Well, you know, Payne's not yelling about you. Saeed scratched, too. The lion was still refusing to act. Redwood wanted to yell at the lazy creature herself. Ooh, well, they're happy. Saeed pointed at African savages rolling dice. Well, of course, the Pullman Porter extras weren't complaining. In between grueling trips through wild country with cheapskate passengers acting African put good money in their pockets. But Redwood and Saeed were headliners, real show folk itching to perform. Shooting a motion picture wasn't strutting across the stage to get lost in applause and laughter in the audience sucking one breath together. It was endless waiting for the sun to escape clouds, for the crew to pamper finicky lenses or, or catch huts blown about by the wind machine. A turkey bone slid from Saeed's slippery hair. He shouldn't have tossed the kinky fright wig. Redwood sighed. You know, with this beetle-headed scenario, who can blame that lion for pouting in his dressing room? <laughs> Get that lazy cat moving! Payne coughed in his handkerchief and marched off. A cage door opened to the lion snarling and spitting. Several white cameramen looked anxious as they cranked images of this beast, old and broken tooth, but, but still a ferocious sight. A muscular handler with a pockmarked ruddy complexion and streaks of gray in his black hair smacked the lion in the belly with a big stick and cracked a whip. The lion snarled and swiped, mane bristling with rage. The handler cracked the whip again and caught the lion in the face. The animal drew back as the handler jabbed harder at skinny ribs. Oh, oh, that ain't a good idea! Redwood shouted at the handler and then whispered to Saeed, you know, that must hurt. Saeed groaned, too many people. This animal is frightened and very angry. With another whip crack from the sunburnt handler and more painful prodding, the lion retreated further into the cage instead of coming forward. The handler shouted and the, and the lion crouched up against the bars looking weary and pathetic. Damn fool, you want to get us fired? The handler was cussing the lazy beast, talking about an old bag of bones when the lion leapt. Redwood was stunned by the sudden power and grace of the rippling muscles but something was wrong. With jaws gaping and claws slashing the air, the lion aimed itself at the foul-mouthed handler, 
whose whip now hung limp in his hand. The lion's golden eyes flashed murderous rage. The handler shook his head and turned his back as if he couldn't believe the lion would dare attack him. He moved in slow motion while the lion was a streak of light. Where are you going? Saeed yelled as Redwood ran toward the lion. A sharp wind from an electric fan tore the mane from the lion's neck to reveal a she-cat in disguise. Cast, crew, and cameramen gasped. The lioness was momentarily distracted by her costume problem. <laughs> she shook violently till she was free of someone else's ratty old mane. The handler had gotten up to speed and was charging away. <laughs> Too late. The lioness recovered her momentum and cut the distance between them in two easy bounds. She tore into his behind, ripping through the pants and sinking teeth into soft flesh. The handler howled. Redwood slowed to a walk, praying for a good spell to come to her. Two cameramen froze above their lenses. One thin, pale man continued to film while the African savages and white hunter screeched and knocked each other over, scurrying away. Redwood recognized the curly beard and scraggly eyebrows. Nikolai Minsky, a determined fellow, he shook off his comrades, urging him to run and continued to roll. They gripped their cameras and dashed away. The handler, with the lioness clamped to his butt, struggled toward Nikolai, begging for help. Nikolai's eyes darted up from his lens. Without a whip or a gun, what could he do? Running was his only safe option. Possessed, a demon driven to capture this deadly spectacle, Nikolai shifted his camera's vantage point and continued rolling. Redwood danced in front of the lioness. The wind got caught in her fierce moves. A train of fog snaked through the dust at her feet. Prairie smoke seeds, a cloud of silvery purple filaments, spun around her head. As Redwood swirled like a hurricane brewing, the she-cat let go of butt flesh and raggedy pants and spit her mouth clear. She licked blood from her broken fangs. Stepping over the whimpling, whimpering handler, the lioness crouched low and moved toward Redwood. A stiff wind chased clouds across the sky. Nikolai praised the returning sunlight as he cranked on his camera like a demon. Redwood sprang high in the air, cloaked in a cyclone of fog and prairie smoke. In the middle of a spin, she fixed her eye on the lioness. She felt a great thundering heart, wheezing lungs and aching joints. Front paws that had bounded through fire were tender. A bruised shoulder ached where the, where the handler had poked too hard. Cheeks and eyes stung from the whiplash. Yet more than all this, Redwood tasted rage, killing rage, swallowed down too long and coming up strong now. Breath become rage, flesh become rage, and fangs and claws the sharp edge of rage. Redwood landed at the lioness's nose. Prairie smoke seeds settled on her grass skirt, and fog evaporated in a whistling hiss over her head. The lioness came to a halt also, fangs bared. 
For a good while, there was just the two of them. Redwood hadn't done any wild conjuring since 1903, when she and Aiden had gone off to the Chicago Fair. That trip seemed like a, demon, a dream, a story she told on her young self. Who could say if it was true or not? She had known killing rage since then, and it had made her a stranger to herself. She remembered that wild young gal beloved by the spirit in everything, not afraid of bears, gators, hurricanes, or crazy men wandering the night. She just couldn't find her. The lioness snarled. A tall figure in a black hat watched from the shadow of an old oak tree. Now, if Redwood had lost her hoodoo power too, if this conjure trick called the boneyard baron to her and she died this day, at least Nikolai would get a record of her true spirit on film. And who would be able to deny that? The lioness circled Redwood, crouching to her belly brushed the ground. She drew her lips back over jagged fangs. The crowd roared and startled them both. Behind the lioness, a brave African savage dragged the blubbering handler toward a distant circle of folks who looked ready to run but eager to see the show come to any gruesome end. The lioness's chest rumbled. Oh, oh, she's purring! Nikolai reeled in the images, his eyes ablaze, his thin frame shaking. Saeed stood next to him, waving and speaking beautiful words, yet their, their meaning escaped Redwood. Perhaps Saeed was so desperate, he spoke Farsi. Behind Saeed, one of the animal wranglers waved a gun. Where he been all this time? That's a growl, fool, the wrangler said. The boneyard baron tipped his hat. Oh, oh, she's all yours, Nikolai urged Redwood on. Saeed gaped at him. Move out the way, gal, the wrangler gunman yelled. Redwood ignored him and tangoed with the snarling or purring lioness toward the cage. The sun dipped low, setting wisps of clouds on fire. Pain was out another day's wages. No more filming today. Redwood had danced the lioness almost back to the cage. Their motions blurred into one another, and Redwood felt heartache for a time before this time, for fierce sisters, babies lounging in the heat, and a great bearded fellow rolling in the grass. Redwood peered with lonely lion eyes through bars at barren landscape, at a barren landscape of circus tents and train boxcars. She turned her nose up at rotten meat covered in maggots and flies as each second stretched long and unbearable. Fire singed her whiskers and she gulped a breath of smoke, coughed, and growled. The lioness batted a sore paw at Redwood, bringing her back to the smelly cage. I can't, damn it, Sequoia's in the way, someone shouted. Nobody dared get close enough for a clear shot. Redwood gently took hold of the swollen foot. The lioness laid her head against Redwood's hip. Redwood pressed her cheek against a furry ear, drawing the pus and pulling the pain from one paw, then another. With a rumbling chest, the lioness danced beyond reach to deep inside the cage where bars kept the leering and snarling people out. 
She sat on our haunches and licked her paws, eyes never leaving Redwood. A shot rang out. Stunned by the force of an impact, my skin and bone exploding, Redwood's arms flew open. She stumbled and closed her eyes on a punctured lung and fatal heartache. A second shot whined by in the darkness and slammed through downy fur into soft flesh. And then Redwood could hear no more. Time was undone, bleeding away. Redwood opened her eyes. The lioness was twisting in the air. The second bullet had hit her belly and ripped her open. Guts poured out with blood. The white hunter and African savages stood behind a gunman cheering and laughing. With fear standing in his eyes, Saeed ran into the cage. The dead weight of the big cat fell into Redwood. She hugged the animal to her. Claws dug at her ribs as they tumbled to the ground. Blood spurted into Redwood, sticky, hot, smelling of copper and bile. The lioness's tongue flapped against Redwood's shoulder. Coarse as sandpaper, it scraped away skin. Puffs of bloody, fetid breath fogged the air. Golden eyes turned glassy and gray. Grimacing, Saeed rolled the lioness off of Redwood's heaving chest and talked at her, but she couldn't hear him or anything else. He looked concerned at her injured shoulder and the blood dripping down her side. As he checked her wounds, she pushed him aside with such force, he tumbled several feet and hit the ground hard. The wind was knocked from his chest. Saeed scrambled in the dust to regain his senses and came for her again. Redwood jumped over the lioness and charged at the gunman, running faster than Saeed, running with gale force rage. As she bounded toward them, the white hunter and African savages grew silent, motionless, and then backed away. The gunman lost his grin as he noted their retreat. Panicked, he aimed his weapon at Redwood and shouted something, but she charged on. He fumbled and stumbled and then pulled the trigger at point-blank range. His rifle misfired, burning his fingers and dislocating his shoulder. Redwood smacked the gun from his hand and slammed into him. Terror and pain disfigured his face. She balled her storm hand into a fist, and it took great effort not to punch him again. He fell down at her feet and clutched his chest like an actor miming a broken heart. She turned away from him and walked past a frightened white hunter and stunned African savages, past Saeed even, and back into the cage. Redwood sat with the lioness's head in her lap, staring through the bars. Saeed shrugged at everyone and sat down next to her. Demon Nikolai cranked the last of his film. He nodded at Redwood, pleased, it would seem, with her bravura performance. Redwood took a choked breath. Sound returned, but she didn't want to listen to the voices babbling at her and wished for the silence again. It did not come. Redwood will set you free. Oh, oh, loose and acting Free. Running will make you free. Running will make you, won't set you free. 
So I'm going to do one last short piece. It's a later chapter in 1911. Aiden and Redwood have been having hard times in Chicago. So Redwood sets out a crossroads spell and asks Aiden to read from his journal. When he was young, Garnet, Redwood's mother, told him to write yourself down, Aiden. Keep good counsel with your own self. That's a powerful spell, a hoodoo trick for whatever ails you. So Aiden is feeling too low to read from his journal, so Redwood reads to him. Walk in the stars. Stories and songs are medicine too. Aiden's father, Big Thunder, was of the Wind Clan, one of the first clans to come out the mountains when the master of breath called the Indians from the navel of Earth into life. Wind Clan was whirlwind friend to Panther Clan, clearing away giant roots so that his big-headed brother could make it into sunlight. The other clans tumbled in after that. Deer, bear, corn, burn, bird, potato, and all the rest. Big Thunder had to marry across the fire. His first wife was Snake Clan. His second wife, Ashlyn, was an O'Casey from County Cork. They married far across the fire. Your parents are dead, 
Aunt Caitlin said to Aiden Wildfire, and you are Aiden Cooper now and nobody else. Those mountain people you live with got taken by fevers and coughing sickness. You are strong stock, lucky. You take after Ashlyn and I love you as my own. Don't go running off, hiding in the swamp like a wild savage. Aiden was young and sadness with sharp nettles clinging to him, digging deep, drawing life blood. He missed his parents and the clan of mountain folk who had made the world home. Aiden cried in the night. He grew sick and pale, not from coughing or fever, but grief. Finally, when Aunt Caitlin couldn't get any food to stay in his belly, she took Aiden to Miss Garnet Phipps and pleaded with this colored conjure woman to hold her adopted son to life. Miss Garnet sent George and Redwood to help their daddy in the fields. She had Aiden gather hairy roots for a healing brew. They watched it boil in a black iron pot. A dead smell filled the house. When darkness fell, Miss Garnet stood by Aiden on the porch. The moon didn't even bother to come out. The air was a heavy blanket of heat. Aiden felt a chill in his heart all the same. Shooting stars, Miss Garnet pointed at streaks of light. You know, that's a sign for sure. What the stars got to say to us, Aiden asked. Miss Garnet sang a star song in Gullah Creole, and Aiden could only feel the meaning, a traveling song, a song for loved ones far away. I knew your daddy since I was younger than you. She put a warm cup of the nasty brew in Aiden's hands. His people and my people, you know, been around these parts for a long time. You know, I got family over to the Sea Islands still. Well, my daddy knew folks from everywhere. Aiden was proud of who he come from for a moment. Aunt Caitlin said, I shouldn't talk about him. <laughs> well, I'm a hoodoo here and underneath things, and you can't hide the truth from me. Now, we can talk about your daddy and your mama, too, if you like, just us, and I won't tell nobody. Aiden put the cup to his lips and drank the medicine down real quick. It was sweet and frothy and felt good going down. His tongue tingled, and his belly didn't feel so tight. Miss Garnet sat down in the rocking chair and opened her arms. Aiden crawled in her lap like he was a little child, and they rocked together slowly. He liked her hickory smoke, sweet magnolia scent. She wore an orchid in her hair, seemed it was growing there, and not ever fixin' to die. You know, your daddy told me a story once about the Milky Way. She pointed to the stars. <gasps> yeah, the master of breath blew into the sky and made the white pathway, Aiden said. <gasps> he told you too? Well, ain't that something? Yes, the, the white starway leads to a city of light where good people go when they're dead. Well, Gullah song tell a similar story. Your mama and daddy are there, smiling on you, hoping you have a long life, a good life, before you walk the stars to them. Well, Aunt Caitlin don't believe in the Milky Way, 
Uncle Charlie neither. <laughs> it's up there in the sky for us all to see a prayer every night. A good story fill you up when you're hungry, when you're lonely. A good song take the hurting out your heart. No harm believing in that. She gave him a wind-up music box. Play this. And think of the stars smiling on you. Right, it's all going to be on the test. Uh, let's take 10 minutes and join us again where we will deconstruct what we just constructed. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, Pam. Thank you. All right. Really, a short, a short break, get a drink, help, help a kid stay alive. Yeah, really help. That's, that's not a joke, right? <laughs> You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.